0: The message in here is the one that uh, you have to uh, remember when you are at the age of 75 and wake up in the morning and you remember exactly the definitions. So this is about how do we talk about order of growth. Uh, But before we go there, so let me remind you that everything is available materials that uh, uh, I present, are available on courses. Your homework tasks will be there. You interact through this interface in here. Uh, Not everybody has signed up for mailing list yet, I think, but I highly recommend you to do so. Uh, Then, some of you may not have yet been able to register to the course for different reasons. I don't know what the reasons are, but please go to the um, institute um, office, Consulate, on the second floor, and get these things settled. Um, that would save my time uh, rather than trying to interact with us, uh, if somebody doesn't. Uh, or, in the ultimate case, then you can also talk to the PAs. Um, is there anything? On the organizational side, that is unclear at the moment. TAs will repeat, I think, the conditions about the, how do they expect you to. By the way, so Monday group, who is doing the practice session today? You should have uploaded the homeworks two minutes ago. That's the deadline. Eh? Yes. I have done the homework, but no internet, and I can't. there is no internet, and I There There is no internet. Internet is full. <laughs> what do you mean? Like, I the picture, right? yeah. and, and you know what? Tough luck. <laughs> it's not our fault. Yeah, I know. <laughs> uh, the, the system is so that uh, you can upload, and you can upload again, and then it overwrites. So to be on the safe side, you can upload. Uh, Sunday evening, even if two tasks are missing, and then once you complete them, you can upload again to be on the safe side. But uh, uh, that is something that I leave uh, between TAs and you. And uh, and the message is that life is tough, deadlines are strict. Two minutes late is too late. Um, Okay. and, and also, I think you, uh, I, I was looking through some five or six uh, uh, solutions that were uploaded uh, last night, uh, before last uh, evening. And you will have to find some way that you don't write too much, that you don't write too little, to be on the, on the right level somehow. But this is something that you will have to figure out uh, by looking at, uh, at some perhaps better presentations and talking to the TA. Uh, anything else? I hope that there is now a video recording going on and when this does happen then I will uh, upload the videos. But uh, trust me, you will be... it's much easier to be here. I, I hope so, at least. And I got my computer back on Thursday. The operating system was, or the s- software part was reinstalled. And I don't know what the magic is. Some of the most of the programs are working, and uh, I, I found that this morning that Digidot wasn't. So I, I don't know. Okay. So complexity analysis, or or how, what, what is important for us in algorithms, is how fast they are, right? But it's very hard to. How should we talk about the speed of the algorithms? Uh, obviously one of the homework tasks was to try to calculate exactly how many clock cycles your program will execute. Measure in practice, sometimes it's faster, sometimes it's slower, it can vary on different things. But basically somehow to try to estimate how many steps are needed. On the faster processor of course you can do it faster, on the slower slightly uh, slower. Uh, that means when you have faster computers you can process more data, right? Or do larger tasks. But the problem is, of course, that if your algorithm is bad, then it doesn't matter how fast a computer you will ever be able to, to buy, the slower computer will always outcompete the faster one. If your algorithm is bad, eventually the slower computer will w- win. Uh, And this may sound a a little bit strange, but but basically that's what we are going to talk about in this complexity analysis. What will happen when we increase the problem sizes to infinity, ultimately, eventually? Uh, Your complaint that your computer does not have enough memory, that is not the problem of the complexity analysis. We assume that we can have as much as we want, or or as much CPU as as we want it can have trillions of years to wait but we can estimate this uh, so it's a fun task for you to figure out for the for the binary search how large the input should be the sorted input so that a single binary search would take one minute uh, so basically what we somehow try to uh, figure out is how to express if if we say that input has size n n is some input uh, parameter usually yeah then what is the function dependent on n how many steps are needed right you you may say that oh in the beginning we go through the data once linear times and then we do some from i1 to n and j uh from i to n, so quadratic component, and then again 17 times, or we do 17 operations in linear uh, step, and maybe then we apply some sort algorithm to get everything sorted at the end. Right? And you can express uh, this kind of function. It's uh, a lot of work to get every concept like this 17 right somehow. You see that we have very few constants in here, but what is the complexity class of this function? How how fast or slow this is? So, one claims that this is quadratic. What do you claim? I agree. You agree? Does everybody agree? Who does not care? <laughs> but it's quadratic plus n log n. How, how, how can you say that this is quadratic? Clearly there is more than quadratic. quadratic And you know, guess what? I, I try to get you quiet <laughs> while I ask questions from other people. So we, that's exactly the essence. We, we need to understand which part of these, of the algorithm will dominate. Your program can be millions of lines of code for whatever reasons, but there will be some part that will dominate the overall execution type. And somehow we would like to have the, the ground to eliminate all the rest. And that's also the complexity analysis, so basically, trying to make something which is complicated and make it as simple as possible. So just to just be able to say that, oh, this is quadratic time. And uh, the classes to do so are as follows. So these are the ones that you will uh, need to memorize, is uh, your big goal that you have heard Theta, big omega, small omega, small o. And these roughly compare to these equal to less than or equal to strictly less than or strictly greater than uh, comparisons. Uh, So big O is sort of upper bound, bounded from above. Um, usually we say that uh, well, we, we, we will have the definitions, but somehow that it's, uh, like, if you say that quadratic, then it's qua- equal to quadratic or less. Sometimes your input, like, you start sorting, but you observe that it was sorted, and it, then your algorithm was just linearly going through the data, and it was faster than okay right? But for the worst case analysis, it's Uh, equal to or less, so this is your big O, and we would like to say the quadratic in here, very simple functions in here. Uh, the Symmetrically bounded from below is that it's uh, uh, equal to or more, takes equal to n squared or more. When do we need this big omega, lower bound? Or why would, why would we need is that the best, case? But the best case cannot be better than this. And uh, this is especially valuable for theoretical considerations. Imagine there is a task we need to get it sorted, data sorted, and now we will have to have, figure out theoretically nobody, no algorithm could be better than n log n. Whatever you do, right? So this is a lower bound. Uh, in here, you can if you can prove that whatever the algorithm. That tries to do sorting based on comparing two values has to take at least n log n. Right? It could be n cubing algorithm. It could be some slow algorithm. But you, you may need to prove that it's, it cannot be any faster. Right? And on the other hand, when we present the sorting algorithm that, that is n log n, we have proved that nothing can be faster. And then we have proved that oh, this one is n log n. Therefore, this is optimally the best. Oh, that's optimal. That is the uh, that is the the optimal solution. Uh, okay, and uh, and this uh, small O and big O so basically equality would not be uh, le- uh, needed. So. Whatever you do, it will always be um, less than um, something, or will be strictly more than. So we will uh, look at these classes in more detail. So basically, we we need these kinds of languages. Uh, not well, how to say this is kind of the tricky motivation part. Um, We would like to say somehow that something is better than some uh, than something else or faster than uh, something else, but it's not so easy because how how do we how do we prove this kind of qualitative better or faster? There is something more to it, or we have to somehow counter uh, or assess it. And, and these complexity classes will give us some means. Uh, of course. Uh, just better, you cannot say, also because uh, if something is, could be better but it would be much slower to develop. Uh, and in the business side, uh, case, maybe you don't need something that is better but unnecessary. Um, so, we have to be somehow pragmatic in what we do but also have this theoretical basis of argumenting, arguing uh, which algorithm might outcompete the others uh, eventually. So when we try to quantify, if you count how many times some code will be executed, that is quantification uh, counting, right? Um, That's what we would like to somehow do, count how many operations we need. And how many operations we need, we usually measure two things. Either how many how many operations, what is the, how many CPU cycles, or how much space. How much space, if problem instance as size n, maybe you need quadratic space to get some extra things into the memory, right? So we can measure the time and space consumption. And we when we talk about the... the about the memory, then of course we make huge assumptions that the memory is uniform, random access memory, no tricks on the cache. Real algorithms cache as much as possible to faster memory chunks. So real algorithms that somehow can cache better will outcompete those that are randomly shuffling around the large data. But in, in all the theoretical considerations, of course we make assumptions that memory is uniform and uh, uh, CPU is uh, uniform in every uh, process, so we, we have to make some assumptions. Which, anybody has seen the computer tapes, reading the tape? Imagine you have to win the tape to the correct place to read the value, so tape is not random access memory because it takes more time to get to one location, to get the value out. Uh, And then we would like to start counting, of course. In here, this is a very simple summing. You get the pointer to array, you know that there is n elements, you start the counter, you go through every element, and add to the sum the particular value. And then you can count how many operations this this has uh, taken. How much space this subroutine takes? This is a pointer to our array, so uh, 4 or 8 bytes. Uh, this is the integer, 4 or 8 bytes. Again, in here you introduce two local variables. So basically you have only the uh, constant space needed within this subroutine. So this is some, uh, some constant. <coughs> Uh, Constants are something that we try to get rid of, so it doesn't matter if it's a constant 1 or 25, somehow we say this is a constant. The same input and array, you could count the sum in a different way, you could do it recursively, you take in the array and you know that n elements are there. If the n is less than 0, then the sum is 0, otherwise take the sum of the n-1 elements and add the uh, last element. So you go through the same sum, one by one, but now every time you introduce a new call to the subroutine, rsum, and the recursion will create a stack, and now the same program has the same time complexity, but takes linear linear space in memory somewhere on the stack. And every time you make a subroutine call, you have to, in the stack, you put different, uh, basically the address where you go back, once you complete this subroutine, then you go back to the next, to the previous state. Uh, so, the input size n is in here and uh, we always try to see what is the complexity in relation to this input n. So, n elements in that array. Uh, if we would uh, be able to say that there is four operations per element plus some three extra operations, so we would like to express this function in terms of n. When we look at the graphs, when we have n nodes, m connections between the nodes, then for n nodes the number of connections could be anything from 0 to n quadratic, right? n, n, n squared. So then it, we can talk about the dense graphs, m could be n squared connections between the elements, or very sparse graphs which are rather closer to n connections between n elements. Then, um, uh, something that is, of course, uh, when you start doing the recursion the first time, then the Fibonacci numbers, you learn the definition of Fibonacci numbers, the Fibonacci number when n is 0 is 0, n is 1 is 1, and Fibonacci number in general case for n is Fibonacci number for n-1 plus Fibonacci number for n-2, right? So you, you your definition of the Fibonacci numbers is almost, well, by definition, it's a recursive function. And then you know that Fibonacci numbers grow uh, very fast at exponential rate. And of course, you can you can then implement exactly this definition. You can implement in code. If n is zero, return zero. If n is one, return one. Otherwise, call Fibonacci numbers with the parameters n-1 and n-2, you get it calculated. The problem, though, is that it will launch twice the call to the Fibonacci um, subroutine itself and the calculation of Fibonacci numbers in this way is going to take the same time as in the same order as as the value of the Fibonacci number itself. In here, we saw that the value is 2 to the power of constant times n. And imagine you spend the same time, roughly, to calculate the value. And you also already know the solution. There is much faster solution to calculate the same value, right? Once you know the first two Fibonacci numbers, then to calculate the third one, you just add the previous ones and you get it. Calculate To get the fourth one, you take the second and third, and together you get the fourth. For every Fibonacci number, you just need one addition. Right? How is this called? You take this recursion, but you solve it as I just described. You tabulate the previous answers, and you use the previous answers to calculate the new value. And that technique is called dynamic programming. So that is uh, the, the the basics of basic principle of dynamic programming. Rather than making the recursion where you call, like in here, you, you make a call to f to n minus one. That needs to call f on n minus two. But also in here, you will execute f for n minus two. The entire subtree in here. And the entire subtree here repeat itself, right? Once we know the value, we should never calculate again. We memorize it, we use it. So this is much faster. We just tabulate all the values up to Fibonacci number of n and then go from second to this n, just add them together. One addition per getting a new value. So calculation time is now linear, going through every value, doing one addition, one uh, assignment, and we get the Fibonacci numbers calculated. So you know that this is called linear time algorithm. You have some feeling about this big O of n. I, I know that you know. You may have forgotten, but I know that you know. So so basically, we have algorithms that have all kinds of possible inputs of certain size. One input, one particular input, like let's sort the data. One particular input is certain, one set of random numbers. This is the instance, right? And then we would like to get the output, like sorted data, from inputs to outputs from input instances to solutions. And what we would like to understand is for any input that is possible of this size what will be the worst, usually the worst case performance to get output. Usually the worst case performance therefore the time to solve Time to solve the, the algorithm on the input x. We would like to estimate it on the based on the size of input x. And we express this, uh, for instance x, we express by this time to get solution for the instance of size n. And time to get the solution for instance of size n is the largest time for any input x that has size n. So this is the definition of the of the worst-case scenario. What is the worst-case, worst nightmare scenario? You say that you can solve any instance, you can solve any n numbers in certain time, but somebody peeks into your code and creates a worst-case scenario for your quicksort. You implement the quicksort, you pick the middle element and somebody looks at your code and Creates the artificial input that always gives the worst case performance for your quicksort, and your quicksort, instead of being n log n, is suddenly n squared in the worst case. For one input, your solution will be worst case, with the n squared guaranteed. Usually we talk about worst case. In practice, of course, you, are, you, uh, you care about the average case. How does it run on average? On average, this is fine. On average, uh, you need to know that your code r- runs fast enough and you can relax. But not in the case when you fly in the plane and plane control system just occasionally takes longer time. Doesn't reply response time goes off the time limit and your plane crashes or space shuttle crashes. So when you program something that is uh, critical, then you don't care only about the average case, but you really care about the worst case scenario. Okay, uh, you have the homework where I had a very simple uh, loop and some calculations, and this sort of gives you the hint how to calculate the, how many operations it will take. In here you will have to do a certain number of operations, uh, look up for certain uh, element in the array index on the index J, uh, assign it to the calculate this index, assign it in there, do some calculations on this line 5, right? and you can say ok this will take 5 or 7 operations or clock cycles, right? But instead of uh, saying 5 or 7, we would like to say that this is actually some constant of operations in here. So on the line 5, there is a constant number of operations uh, for whatever the I and J, uh, whatever the particular loop is, there is a constant uh, time. And then we would like to go from inwards out, sort of from five to the surrounding loop. How much from four to six the loop will take? As long as j is uh, greater than zero and certain value is less than I do j. I don't I don't know exactly what the um, what is when this will launch, but as long as j is greater than 0, you execute this line. j is greater than 0, in fact, j in here is i-1. So you can say from 4 to 6, it's this constant we apply the number of times we call this uh, line This is i-1 times, plus some constant overhead. Then we look at the next loop around in here, and this will be executed... uh, This will be executed... There there are some constant time operations, but this will be executed how many times uh, from 1 to n times we execute these inner loops. 3 to 7, 3 to 7, oh, 3 to 7 just adds some constant overhead, and now we go from 2 to 8. And 2 to 8 is some constant overhead, and then we sum, i moves from 2 to n, entire operations from line 3 to 7, right? There is a sum, and we need to count those together. It will take some time that is less than this kind of expression. And we have ignored lots of details, how many, what is the constant, what is the size of the constant? Uh, Okay, and then there is a little bit of kind of mathematics that uh, you would like to get n-1, these are constants, so n-1 times you execute the sum, so n-1 times c3 plus c2 plus c1 times the sum from 2 to n, the same uh, sum, but now you just sum i-1 in here. And this one will be Uh, you can bury these constants in n times certain constants, so you can say that this is less than some constant times n, plus c1 times, and in here will appear the n times n minus 1 in the loop. And therefore we would like to conclude that time to solve the instance of size n for this insertion sort is the time to sol- solve the solutions from two to, uh, lines two to eight is quadratic because in here the quadratic term appears. So you assume that the first element is uh, is uh, sorted, and then you go from the second to the end. You just try to fit it to the the first one is sorted. You you move to the right, and then you try to just put in place, into the correct order, you have the insertion sort algorithm that has quadratic com- uh, complexity. Uh, so again we use this quadratic complexity, but at this moment rather freely. Yes, uh, could you show the, uh, sorry for a second, on the line, line 5 we assume that this, uh, line will take a constant amount of operations, but we are accessing uh, a value in the array and the array by itself is linear. Do we ignore that or do we take this into consideration? Okay, so what is the array? Well, array is somewhere in the memory we have the array, yes, yes right? It consists of n elements. And and A is usually expressed by address to the beginning of that, array. Yes. And then, you have, then we have elements, and then you would like to get to the i-th address of this location. How do we get that? This is address of A plus how many steps, how many positions you need to add. Uh, and your code actually knows that in here are 8 byte characters therefore to the address you add i times 8 to get from this address to that address so this operation is uh, multiplied by size of element and add it to the beginning of the array then you have the address, and you just fetch this to the CPU. So this is... Um, well you don't need to go through all the elements to get into this one. You just calculate the address, and you fetch this one element. Yeah, okay. But if we, the array is uh, implemented, let's say nested list... If the, <laughs> if the array is ele- implemented as, as the linked list, then you would have to go through the elements. Uh, and, and next lecture, we will actually talk about these linked lists and all the different variants. Of course, in that case, you can't have the random access. Okay. It's the same as tape. You can't access randomly, uh, you have to scan it to the right position to read. right? But in here, you, you, you have a random access memory where you just give the address and you fetch the value. Okay. And that is constant time operation. It takes one, two or five cycles of the CPU, whatever, depends on the architecture. Right? And on different architectures, some tasks can be done in parallel, etc. But, but this is we try to ignore these details. Okay, so in here, again, we get to this situation that we have one quadratic term and then lots of constants floating around And we would like to get the solid theoretical ground. How can we say that this algorithm is big O n squared? How can we say that this is quadratic time to make it as simple uh, assessment as possible? Uh, When you look at your homework, then I try to ask actually count the number of operations. Uh, And possibly express it in terms of n, what the n could be. But try to think how many operations one or the other uh, would take. Now, so to to now summarize somehow that what is what are, we express by this T big T, the function of how many operations. And uh, some operations like reading assignment of the element takes constant time. Reading element is some constant time. Reading element could take many cycles, but it's still sort of constant time. Writing, constant time. When you have many operations, one after the other, then you just add up the times. You just add up the times, but the complexity class will be not the sum of all of these, but it will be actually the largest value of these uh, times of individual lines. Or individual times. When you do if then else, you always execute the boolean test. But the boolean test does not need to be constant time. Boolean test could be a very complicated uh, subroutine that calculates the risk score for should I give this person a, uh, a loan or not. So it's always the time to calculate the test, which can be very complex. Plus, then depending is it true or false, then time to calculate these statements S1 or S2. When you have the simple loop, then as long as the condition holds, and in here again you do test for the condition, it could be a complicated case and as many times as the the test is true as many times as the test is true you execute uh, the test and the statement right as many times as this evaluates to true you have uh, to consider time to execute the test plus the statements s and once you fail you still needed this once to evaluate the p, the, the pre-condition. And when we have nested loops, in a way you can start from inside to move outside. Okay, but but this is really uh, when you look at the start looking at the code, try to figure out how many operations it will take. It will be Uh, When you are a professional programmer, it's it's not that you write the program and then you start figuring out what happens, right? Then you start analyzing your code, how many operations it takes. You have to have uh, some pre-analysis that I will apply this or that algorithm, well-known algorithms, and I try to uh, optimize for certain code, and then of course you... Uh, software engineering textbooks say that early optimization is the evil uh, of all things, right? And then you can plot, as depending on the n grows, how does the function behave. So this one is quadratic and linear. 100 times linear operations or 2 times uh, x squared. And you see that, of course, this quadratic algorithm will be slower than the linear time algorithm on the input of 100. Uh, This is Knu-plot. Very simple. You just say you plot from 1 to 100, 2 to the power of x. No, 2 times x to the power of 2 and 100 times x. Uh, What happens when... Well, this guy, obviously, was a, a kid of a very rich father, and he was uh, pissed off that his algorithm was twice lower than uh, the bright student's algorithm. Right? What did he do? Uh, you could say that, oh, Daddy, why don't you buy me 100 times faster the computer? Then my code would be in here, right? And it would be much better than this one. Uh, so this is uh, okay, this one is actually, yeah, I didn't have that, either. but hypothetically, you could imagine the case that somebody buys the 100 times faster computer, and you, you, you have the solution in here, and the other one still is using the, so the, the is-good algorithm, right? In here, we have this case, quadratic, and 100 times n log n. Somebody is coming up with n log n algorithm, but it has a very high constant overhead or runs on a very slow computer. Then it looks like the green line is is really bad, and this quadratic time algorithm is much faster, right? And what we care about is what happens when we take larger input. When we, when we don't look at the hundred, we look at one thousand, then all the effort was worth it, right? Now this hundred times overhead for n log n is still much better than quadratic type, right? And we don't need to stop in here. But the question is, what will happen in infinity? Uh, you can have the the rich uh, uh, kid may ask his father to buy ten thousand times faster computer, and uh, the red quadratic is in here, and he's Solution is much faster than the green one, but again, you increase the data size, and you can see that no matter what, no matter how fast the computer is, the better, uh, this n log n algorithm with high constant overheads will outcompete the the bad algorithm. Right? Uh, okay, and. Uh, you can plot the functions, uh, changing these ranges. You can uh, plot the functions so that in here, uh, y axis has been made into logarithmic scale. Set log scale y. Plots the set log scale x. Uh, Gnuplot is. How many of you tried Gnuplot already? Shame on the others. So please install Gnuplot and try it. You can plot uh, data. You can plot functions. You can overlay. Your data with the function. Uh, so this one is uh, logarithmic scale, you need to uh, be careful how to read these, but you see that there is, uh, there is a different logarithmic scale X, logarithmic scale y. You see how the uh, how the bad algorithm will eventually uh, overshadow the the better algorithm. On the on the slow computer or or better complexity class algorithm. You see this, yeah? So you say gnuplot. Uh, so, this is uh, when you start just plotting, but uh, uh, then you can say that, of course, we don't go to the negative size inputs. Uh, your inputs will be from 0 to 1000, something like this. Okay, I can't. then you can add all these different constants in here. Of course um, now it seems that the n log n is performing much worse but when you just increase the number in here then the green one eventually will be much faster than the the red one. So we want to have this comparison of the functions in, in the limit. So which one of these is uh, the fastest? I don't know if you see. Green one is 5 times logarithm, Uh, red one is x times x, and the blue one is x times log x divided by 3. So by just starting to increase the um, n in here, you see that the green one is the best and the curve of red one goes up faster than the blue one. Um, So all the calculus lessons will help you to deduce that this one in infinity will be infinitely times uh, larger than the blue one. So what we care about this analysis is what will happen in the infinity. What will happen theoretically in the limit? And we compare our function, our algorithm to some reference function uh, g of n and we want to keep the number of reference functions as simple as possible and uh, we care about uh, infinity, uh, therefore, we ask not what happens in the, in the small data sizes, but we would like to get some fixed certain n, after which, no matter what, this will hold. Right? After a certain time, one will be. Uh, dominated by the other. And then we have these different classes. So what will happen in asymptotic, in infinity, ultimately? We have this bGo class and we say that the function of n is in bGo of of g of n or equals to bGo of g of n. You will see that this equality is kind of, uh, it's not as formal as all the equalities that you normally see in the mathematics. If there is certain input size n0, some constant, and there is exists some other constant that that your function will be less than or equal to this constant c times uh, g of n. After your n passes n0. So this is the n and somewhere is n0 and and your function f of n And uh, this theoretical function, um, at least after this point, this g of n has to be larger. g of n, where do we put this? This constant c is in here, c times f of n you can make the c as small as you want, it can be 0.00001 to bring your function down or you can have larger constant. But whatever, you, uh, whatever is the case for c, if you can select n0 after which g of n will be always larger, uh, then we say that your function of n is in this class. It could be doing some strange things in here, sometimes it, it, it lower, it, it's uh, slower, sometimes it's faster. But somewhere is the uh, crossing point after which the g of n will be always larger. And this n0, by this definition, n0 is perfectly okay to be in here, right? After this point, you can always see that c times f of n is always smaller than g of n. Of course it would be interesting to see this uh, this crossing point, and this is uh, sort of like n0 minimum, right? What is the first point after which you say that it's always like that? But this is the idea that our reference function will be larger than our function times some constant c. And by this equality, you could say that quadratic function is in the class of big, big O of n cube. This equality in here may, may look, of course, strange that n square is equal to big O of n cube, but that's how it was originally uh, somehow decided. And then you can plug in these different constants, see that, indeed, constant uh, c equals 1, you can ignore, but for n0 equals 2, 2 times... 2 square is 8 and in here is also 8 and for any larger n it's only 2 times n square and in here it's n cube right and the value will be larger than 2 therefore this one will be larger so the definition of Pigo class in this case uh, asks for two constants after which you can prove that one is always larger than the other. In fact, this equality here is... There will be awfully many functions that satisfy this requirement, right? So this big O of n cube, in fact, is a set of functions that for which this uh, equality is satisfied in, in this funny sense. So, in fact, uh, we say that in the big O class of G of N, there are all the functions F of N for which there exists these two constants so that you can prove this case. And and in a way you have to read it that your 2n square actually belongs to this set of big O of N cube. It's less than or equal to N cube. Less than is there. So this is for big O and symmetric is big omega. So one was upper bound and this one is the lower bound and everything else I think is, uh, is the same but uh, there is uh, now big omega, omega is all the functions for which you can again select the same, uh, the, the, you can select freely some constant uh, c and some constant n0 after which Um, the function will be always larger than c times g of n. So the function will be always equal to or larger than this reference function. For any n after n0. And square root of n is in the big omega of logarithm of n. So basically it says that it grows as fast or faster than logarithm of n. Uh, If you have big O and big omega, then theta is the intersection of these two sets. This set that is uh, as fast or slower, and the other set is as fast or faster, right? Intersection between these two sets is theta. And that is sort of like the, the type, this function behaves exactly like that. What does it mean? For example in here it's uh, you can say that n squared minus half of n squared minus 2m is in theta n squared. But what does it really mean? It means that both things have to be satisfied. So we have 1c And then zero after which our function will be less than g of n, right? But by the other definition, we we should also be able to uh, select some, uh, let's say, c2 and uh, n0, 2. I didn't come up with anything better. Which, for which this will hold. That the same g of n will be higher and the same g of n will be lower than our function. Maybe for some other constants, but ultimately you see that this will be the case. It will be indicated too, right? It will be slower than quadratic, and it will be faster than quadratic. Therefore, it's quadratic. So this is this illustration that I tried to draw in here. Our function will be faster than quadratic. Our function will be slower than quadratic. Theta is in between the two. Is this okay? So far so good. How do we how do we now take this small low and small low matter? We would have to drop the equals to part to make, make it a strict inequality. And to make it a strict inequality is something where, where You can select any constant, c. Your daddy can buy whatever constant times faster computer, right? You are free to select 7 billion as a constant. 7 billion times faster. But you can always find this n0 for whatever constant In here you can select the constant and and n0, but now somebody else picks constant for you and you can still find n0, after which the function will be faster uh, than the reference function. So for any, you can find such n0. And uh, for any constant, however... uh, slow the computer in here billion times two times n-square operations after certain n-zero it will be faster than this side, n-cubed. So this was uh, small o and respectively small omega is again for any constant c uh, you can find such n zero this n will go to infinity you can pick any n zero but not any for any c you will maybe you will have to go further in the line but you can pick such n zero uh, such that uh, your function will be or the best sol- uh, so far known algorithm will be still slower than this uh, reference function in here. Uh, Square root of n is growing faster than logarithm of n. No matter what constant, how fast computer you will run it on, the functions will grow relatively slowly, especially the logarithm. Uh, but you can always uh, find some n for which uh, square root of n. No matter how fast the computer will be, slower than logarithm of n. Uh, and this this sort of summarizes the five five main complexity classes. Usually we talk about big O because this is the worst case, but it could be better, right? Um, if time permits, we will look at the lower bound, especially for sorting. Why can we be safe to say that no sorting algorithm can outcompete n log n under certain conditions? And now we can start having the plug in the functions, so if our function of n uh, has some cubic uh, time operations and then something that is in the o n square time, so that would mean that there is cubic time plus some function from this class, uh, so we can sort of use uh, this kind of set notation in here. Ultimately, we are uh, worried about the, the dominant terms only, and we will have to somehow uh, justify to ourselves that it's okay to drop uh, the lower terms. This is um, shown in here, slightly complicated-looking proof, but this is a polynomial of mth degree. so. Uh, Quadratic is uh, the second uh, degree, cu- cubic is the third degree, etc. This is a polynomial of mth degree, and what we would like to si- uh, prove is that this mth degree function will dominate, and we we will ignore all the rest. And to do so, you, we can say that this is our function from zero to m, some constant times n to the power of i. Uh, we, need to, we, need to, we would like to calculate what this sum really is. But obviously this would be less than if we take absolute value of A of i, right? There could be some negative constants uh, times some, making them positives will only increase the sum. Uh, then we can uh, take n to the power of m in front and then subtract this m from here. It doesn't change. Uh, then, then uh, since this is now the root, i minus m is is negative. If n is larger than one, this will be some uh, square, some root. So these will be always less than one. Therefore, this, since this term is less than one, we can ignore this. This only makes this sum bigger. So n to the power of m times sum of some constant. And this sum of constant is, of course, uh, um, we can say that this is some constant. So n to the power of m times some constant and selecting uh, from the n0 immediately, we can, we can add all these into this constant term. And we, have, we can have a proof that for this polynomial, if we select this constant uh, after n0 equals 1, We have shown that this function will be less than c times n to the power of m, and this n to the power of m term will dominate, we can ignore everything else. All the lower degree polynomials we can ignore in the complex analysis. So your algorithm may do something and then something and then something and only one piece a bit of this will dominate, and we can ignore all the rest. So that's really nice. The, the other way to look at all this analysis is we, we, we picked these constants, C's, and other constants, and zeros on the axis, after which something will hold. Since we care about the limit, what will happen when n grows to infinity, we can express the same things in these calculus terms, if in the limit, what will happen to the ratio of f of n and g of n in the limit. So what are the options for this? The options are that, uh, in the limit, uh, the term will be infinity. It will be zero when f grows slower than g. Then it will be zero. It will be uh, infinity, or it will be some constant. All kinds of opportunities, right? So if it's greater than zero but less than infinity, that means it's some constant in between zero and infinity, and. uh, in this case, we have the case of Theta. If this is some constant, then we buy this constant times faster computer, and you can run the slower algorithm on this faster computer. So the, if this is the case, then we have the Theta. If it's less than infinity, that means that it's, uh, it could be constant, but it could be also zero. That corresponds to our BGO notation. If it's 0, that means that f of n will be, g of n will dominate, and f of n will, uh, well, this ratio will tend to 0. Then we have small o. f uh, F of n will be uh, smaller than g of n. if you have all the cases. And then, uh, 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 if it equals to uh, infinity, then it's uh, small omega. So basically, theta is some constant between zero and infinity. Big omega is, is it will be strictly larger than zero, it could be some constant, or infinity, it could be some constant, or zero, right? So the three classes are in here, and the special cases, the small omega and small o, is when it's limit, in the limit the ratio is infinity or in the limit the ratio is zero. And that's where calculus will help you to compare the functions, you can take derivatives, what will happen to the first derivative, to the second derivative, etc. You can actually calculate these, uh, what will happen to the functions in the limit. You You remember these things, right? You all have taken calculus class, haven't you? You must have. So, uh, our theta equals to, or big O is equals to, or less, big Omega is equals to, or or larger, strictly larger, strictly less. So these are the five main classes. We just want to compare two functions, and this expresses the the ways how they are related. To remember it now, forever. Then you can take lots of different uh, functions and, for example, observe that whatever the function is in here, all of them are big theta of each other. And since this is uh, big theta of n-square, so n-square is the dominant term in each one of those uh, examples they belong to the same complexity class. You can ignore these smaller terms because these you can bury in some constant C multiplied uh, this by some constant C and all of these will be overshadowed by that term multiplied by some constant. Uh, Different functions can be in the same big set of each other. In this case, they are... In the quadratic class, but what we really care about are the main classes, constant time algorithms. Um, like finding the smallest value in the sorted array. You just need to look up the first value. It's a constant time operation, always, if the if the data is sorted. Logarithmic times, binary search is logarithmic time. Linear time, n log n, quadratic, cubic, 2 to the power of something exponential, n to the power of some constant, polynomial time. All the yeah, polynomial times are sort of like all of these belong to the big O of uh, polynomial times. And then you have exponential, then they grow. Uh, <laughs> E is larger than 2, 4 is larger than E, so these will be exponentials growing at different rates. So, infinity relationship between them. And uh, since listening once to this is not enough, you can, of course, you should read the growth of functions. There is plenty of material, especially the textbook, uh, this Gorman, Lasers, and Rivers textbook. And what we to repeat, we don't care what happens in here, in small inputs, or even realistic inputs in your computer memory. You have the limited memory, we don't care about what happens with this, but we, what we care about what happens in the infinity. Uh, in the GNU plot, you can even plot the x factorial since factorial is defined for integers so make x as integer and factorial and compare to the or two, 2 to the power of x um, you can take logs of these and and we will actually um, if you take the logs then we we will prove actually that. Um, Sorting will sorting can be expressed in this log of x factorial, which happens to be in the same class as, as n log n. In here it's x because uh, Knuclov assumes x uh, on the x-axis. What happens to the logarithms? In computer science we usually talk about binary logarithms. Uh, but you can have other logarithms, like uh, natural logarithms or, or, or decimal logarithms. Um, you can do logarithm to the kth power of n. You can exponentiate logarithms. Or you can compose logarithm of the logarithm, to iterate the same function. Logarithms of a logarithm of a logarithms. Um, you know the... You should well. You can just remind yourself, but you, you know that you can change the base of the logarithm. So instead of the base k, you can move to any other base uh, b by dividing uh, of, uh, this value by this uh, logarithm of base k of the b. So basically, this mean what does it mean? From one base a, you can move to the other base b by selecting by multiplying this by a certain constant. So now this has become a constant. Therefore, every logarithm, whatever base, binary, uh, natural, decimal, logarithms, they are big set of each other. So logarithmic doesn't matter is it base 2, base 10. And in computer science we usually talk about uh, base 2 logarithms. You split into two halves, Basically, this divided by 2 gives you the base 2. Um, this slide you had, just to repeat, well, there is Wikipedia pages, the definitions uh, you should go through. I think I will provide this as one of the homework exercises. Uh, there are lots of different functions and you, you you are requested to try to sort them from the fastest to the slowest by this big theta classes. Some are equal to each other. You have n-square comparisons, one to the other, but this is clearly constant and this is clearly something faster, right, Go slower, so you can have some fixed points. You don't need to get everything, don't look so worried. You don't need to get 100% correct, you, you will be doing great if you can get 75% correct. There are some which are uh, slightly tricky ones Uh, and there are some which notations you may not know. This is uh, iterated logarithm. How many times you need to take a logarithm so that you get answer uh, 0 or 1, whatever. How many times you take a logarithm to get 1? And this of course will grow very extremely slowly, right? So this uh, uh, this iterated function is to get from log of 2 is 1, in the base 2 log of 4 is, you take logarithm once, twice, you get to this, but 2 to the power of 65,536, you need to take 5 times, iterate logarithm of logarithm of logarithm of logarithm, logarithm 5 times so that this will be 1, right? You can see that this... For very large, it it always keeps increasing. It goes to infinity, but it grows very, very slowly. In practical terms, you could say that this is never larger than 5. But theoretically, it could go to infinity. Uh, Okay. um, Since you could apply also this limit thing, What will happen to the limiting when you have the uh, ratio of the two? You can look, does it grow to infinity? Uh, Is it constant? If it's constant, it's in the same theta class. If it goes to infinity or zero, then you have them in different uh, uh, order, right? So you could attempt uh, these derivatives in the mathematics. You could uh, talk to your mathematics friends how to compare the two in the limit, the ratios. But again, it's not about getting 100% right, just just to get some feeling what can be done in this uh, in this way. So somewhere around 70% is good. Right? Don't don't be scared of it. Uh, is there anything about uh, these, uh, these complexity classes at the moment? You remember the five ones? What are the five ones? Oh, well, <laughs> <theta> <laughs> omega. So equals to equals and greater equals or less, strictly greater, strictly less. Right? Five classes. Usually we talk about big O, uh, and that's what we keep handwaving in the course uh, a lot. Right? And. Uh, now we can uh, sort of see how, 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 how does that relate to the to the practical tasks like sorting. Upper bound upper bound it will be this or less. Upper bound is our current best known algorithm, right? We have this at least at this level or faster. Lower bound is theoretically, it will have to be this or slower. When they are equal, then we have optimal algorithm. We know that we can't do any best, any better, and we have something that achieves that level. Uh, this is uh, insertion thoughts, but of course when we talk about algorithms, then the basic, one of the best design principles is to divide and conquer. In the military terms, to divide your opponents to different groups and conquer them independently. Right? <coughs> divide and conquer the problems, uh, divide to sub-problems, let's talk, uh, let's deal with some part and then the other part, conquer them independently. If you can apply the same problem, uh, the same solution, uh, the same type of solution on both, then we have recursive uh, algorithm and then we combine the solutions. Merge sort, we have from 1 to n values, we have to sort. So let's sort first half, get them sorted. Let's sort second half, get them sorted. And now we have two sorted half arrays. What do we do? We merge them together. Which one is smaller, we fill in the table. So, select the middle point, merge sort everything until this middle point, merge sort everything that is on the right from the middle point, and then merge the halves together. You start with the arrays, um, first half, you, you recursively try to sort the first half. How to do that? You apply it recursively. You, you split it into two parts. You first sort the left part, again, you split it in two. The three elements three elements you can already sort, 13, 49, 77. Then you uh, get this part sorted, 35, 48, 61. And then you need to merge, 13, 35, 48, 49, 61, 77. You keep the pointers to the smallest elements of the two, And the one which is smaller, you copy to the next place, you move the pointer, you compare, you copy, you move the pointer, you copy, you move the pointer, etc. So the merge operation, at this stage we have left hand sorted, right hand sorted, and then one merge operation. How fast is the merge operation? To get one element in here, what do we need to do? We need to compare the two and copy one, add pointer. To get the next element, we take the smaller, we compare, we take the smaller, we move the pointer. So, to get every element in here is constant time. Therefore, the entire merge is linear time. Data values, sort, this is from Wikipedia, first half sorted. Second half sorted and merged together. And, uh, this is another divide and conquer method that you know, of course. Quick sort, many of you implemented. Actually, many of you uh, took the code, quick sort, ran it. I don't know how many you wrote from scratch, but you select you, you again try to select uh, divide it into two parts. you select one value, then make sure that on the left are everything that is less than or equal to on the right is everything that is greater than or equal to, and then you have independently you sort this part and that part, but merger it's already done, right Everything there is larger, everything in here is less. So the merge, po- sort of this linear operation was needed to get the separation of small from the large. But now the diff- uh, difference is that this middle point doesn't need to be exactly the middle. Sometimes it happens that you could, you could by accident select the largest value and get only the largest value solved. And then you still have all the n-1 to solve. But quicksort itself is as looks as simple as merge sort. You select the middle point by some uh, Q, you partition around the Q that array really, so that to the left from the Q you have smaller values, you sort them with quicksort, to the right from the Q you have the larger values, you sort them by quicksort. And the initial call, of course, you want to get everything sorted from 1 to n, you want everything to get sorted, right? So the two algorithms are very similar by high-level abstract code. Uh, partition and merge will be slightly different, and in this case, the middle point isn't always in the middle. <coughs> now, in, in this case... And, and this is now the, the main the big difference. If we look at the worst case, then this one will always split to two equal halves, and then merges them in general time. Quick sort, you don't know if the halves are e- exactly equal, right? But you know that in the worst case you could select really bad, bad. So worst case, quicksort is is really bad, quadratic, but the average case, which is quite hard to analyze, actually, is uh, practically very good. Uh, Let me see, I have five minutes, let me just see through the slides, uh, well, it it was, this one was quicksort, we selected something, so that smaller values, larger values, and then you can independently sort the small values. And now what remains is to sort the larger values again by random choice of the pivot you keep uh, sorting. When we start analyzing algorithms, then we want to analyze the worst-case behavior or average case. Well, best case is kind of cheating because what is the best case for sorting? If your input happened to be sorted already, then your algorithm could have just checked that, oh, this is sorted in linear time. In the best case, your sorting algorithm will be linear. We just say, returning it's sorted. But worst case Analysis the tu- is the typical analysis task. Average case needs some statistical techniques. this happens on average? What is the estimate? What is the expected value of the time to get sorted? And of course, when your tasks are very small, and even in the quick sort, when your when your data is already the chunk is small, then it's better to use something that is even bubble sort for for when you have small number of elements. Maybe it's enough to have the quadratic time algorithm without subroutine calls, and it will be uh, faster at that moment. So you can start tuning the the code. But uh, what I wanted to show as a teaser for the next time is This merge sort really take. Our task was to understand how much time to sort n elements. What do we know from this algorithm? We have it splitted into two parts. Two parts that both (coughs) have only half of the elements. Plus the merge operation was something that is linear. Have you got any closer to the solution? Not have you ever seen these kind of recurrences? Recursive function. How do we solve this? i show you uh, very handy, very quick, so time to do n is We, can, we know that this one will call this function and this function. So therefore, time to get n, if we remove this one, we have still these two calls in here, right? And what we write in the root is, after these calls finish, we just need to merge the lists, right? We place in here n elements. N This merger operation of n operations after both have finished. Okay, does this in the solution? This is recursive. Now we can do the same thing in here. We just say that this is n over 2, but we have to introduce this In there. Right? And also in here it's n over 2, but something like that. And we can push lower and deeper the unknown term t of n over 2 to the power of Let's add them together. So at the, at the root, we need n elements, n operations. How many operations at this level? This plus this is 2 times n over 2. What will be in here? 4 times n over 4. Power of y times n divided by two to the power of y. Question is, how many how many levels in this tree until this n over two to the power of something will be so small that this is just one element, and then it's constant time sorting. Log n. So the depth of this is log log n, and at every level we do, of course, these cancel out, so at every at every level uh, we do n times log n. So we have the algorithm that is guaranteed to be perfect subroutines uh, in here, and this is guaranteed to give us n log n algorithm, no matter what the input is. First case. Okay, uh, next time, on Thursday, we will uh, observe that this is as good as we can get, theoretically. Therefore, we have optimal algorithm, which one example of these is merge short. There are other algorithms that, that achieve the same. Uh, and then we have faster algorithms, like sort that doesn't have theoretically always the same properties, but on average will be faster for different uh, reasons. Um, so we will talk about these next, uh, but on Wednesday, on Thursday. Okay. See you on Thursday. I think we should, I said.